Pokémon, Pokéballs, 750-milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Volusi Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. I forgot what I was going to start with. I got a bug bite on the right at the base of my thumb. And it's incredibly distracting because it's really itchy. It's really deep, but how did something get there without me noticing is really the question. That's uh, not today's topic. That is just a light introduction to the joy that is Podcast. That's why you're here. It's why I'm here. It's why we're all here to talk about the bug bite at the base of my thumb. It's not quite the palm of my hand. It's where... The thumb joint connects to the hand itself, if that makes sense. I read a thing about psychology, as I do, because that's... Psychologists have an interesting thing. So the Dunning-Kruger effect, or the Kruger-Dunning, according to some people, (laughs) uh, is an interesting study, and it became a very valuable thing. The irony is it was initially started as a study of not funny people. So people who think they're funny try to be funny, uh, but they never learn about how to be funny or what appeals to others. They overestimate their abilities and therefore they never improve. So they never become funny. And so they were like, well, how do we quantify this? Then they did it in math and then they did it. It's one of my favorite things because it sounds like it started as a joke, which it kind of did but then became serious study with real valuable implications. Uh, And if you think you know stuff, it actually demonstrates you probably don't know it. And this is very much colored how I perceive myself because if I suffer from anything, it would probably be overconfidence. And so I'm always trying to pull it back, pull it back so I don't act like an asshole all the time. But you get to this point I know I'm good at judo because I have external affirmation. I have awards that I've won. I have, I attend judo clubs and they, they say, thank you for coming. Things like that. I am pretty good at my job. I don't, I don't think my workplace gives a lot of affirmation is maybe one of the different problems. And that sort of relates to what we're going to talk about next. But I can see myself in comparison to other people and I can see their mistakes and I know I don't make those mistakes. And so then I feel like I must be okay. I still, I think the problem is it's very hard to compare like whether you're good or not at a job like the one I do. There is hope though. And again, I'm not saying I'm good, which means I'm probably better than I think I am as opposed to saying I'm awesome. The problem is all I have is other people to compare with. And most of those other people have only been doing their jobs for a very short time, comparatively speaking. 
bullshit in the workplace uh, is something that some psychologists have decided to study. And it, it, again, it sounds like a joke, like let's study how much bullshit happens in an office and how does that affect the people. But then you think about there are real world effects to companies, management, not being honest with you or companies laying bullshit on thick and people responding to it. So it sounds initially like a goofy thing, but then you can think there are real world applications and real world effect. So they have decided to call this organizational bullshit. And then they created a scale to see how well employees recognize that the organization they work for is bullshitting them. There's a whole side thing about how the the word bullshit uh, was a swear and isn't really a swear anymore and it's not really acceptable in academic papers and stuff, but that's all essentially irrelevant to the actual study, which is kind of what I want to talk about. So organizational bullshit, this is quoting, has been speculated to have a negative impact on both employees and organizations. Until recently, there was no existing scale for measuring bullshit at work, leaving the speculation untested. Faced with this predicament, a team of researchers designed their own. So what they're saying is they designed a scale to measure A, how much bullshit is going on in an office, B, do the people who work there recognize it, and then C, does it have an effect on those people? Instinctively, you know, working for a company where management is delivering bullshit to you all the time has a negative impact. But what is that negative impact? Is it lower productivity? Because I have been demotivated at times. And it's not like I didn't work, but I know I was not putting in effort. I was not working as best I could. I wasn't using my time efficiently. I was kind of going through the motions. I've been there. And it's because I didn't believe that my job had value. I didn't believe that the people above me felt that my job had value. I didn't believe that any of this was worth anything. So why put effort into it? So I would spend my time thinking, like I would do something, but I would be thinking about something else. So here's a quote again. It's important to note that there are a number of potential negative effects of workplace BS, including lower job satisfaction. So that's exactly what I just talked about. Low motivation, increased distrust in leadership. I mean, fairly obvious. You have leadership managers and stuff who just give you orders, uh, say stuff that they don't necessarily believe themselves, but it sounds good in the moment. That's going to take you how far? Not very. And reduced performance. That's exactly, again, what I was talking about. Since I didn't believe in the work I was doing or I didn't believe that it was for a significant purpose, I didn't believe in the value of the company in itself at that time, my efforts waned significantly. So the researchers created the Organizational Bullshit Perception Scale, or OBPS, which is great that they came up with an acronym for it. I think that might in itself be the best part. The OBPS. So you can start referring to that. And then of course, managers in your companies won't know what you're talking about. So instead of saying that manager is bullshit, uh, or what they said is bullshit, or this company's bullshit, or my job is bullshit, you can say, uh, this is high on the OBPS. And you can communicate that with someone else who knows. And now you both have this like great, cool secret language. This is very high in the OBPS, I think. Uh, just like you could say they are very 
it sounds almost like a compliment. Very high on the Kruger Dunning. And what you're saying is that they think they know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And that's the problem is they're a moron. So the first study, actually there's two studies they talked about in the, in the thing I read. Uh, and it was interesting because again, these are smart people doing smart things. Initial study among 332 employees, two statistical tests called exploratory factor analysis and confirmatory factor analysis confirmed that there were three distinct factors involved in organizational bullshit. The first involved an organization's tolerance for communication that disregards truth. So this is managers. Uh, I would always do this because again, I want me to go through the experiences I've had. Managers saying what they need to say in the moment to get you to go away or to get you to do a job, despite the fact that there's no factual basis to what they're saying. And I think most people who've worked jobs have run across that. I worked in like customer service roles, like, like stores. I sold dog food for a really long time. It was very low bullshit there because we're dealing in dog food. And it was just like work, move the food. Uh, there was no reason to lie to people, customers in this case. My level of bullshit was very low and the owners of the store's level of bullshit was very low. They didn't try to screw me over. They didn't try to mess around with me. Uh, but now I work at a big company and you get a variety of, so I'm not saying there's actually any individual who has a problem, uh, but you're going to get a spectrum of people. So you're going to get some people who are really honest and straightforward and some who just couldn't tell the truth, even if that were the easier option. There's a guy who doesn't work with us anymore. And that was literally, I would be describing him. Given the option of telling the truth with no repercussions or lying, he would lie. And I think we've all met like guys like that as well. He was an HR guy. Uh, I don't know why that was relevant, but that was the position. I think maybe because that's he interacted with a lot of people and his job was to, about rules. And he just said whatever came to mind to, to get people to go away and leave him alone. Um, and he really got off, I think, on lying to people, which is a weird thing. Um, I guess people get off on everything because I don't get off on it. But I, I do mess with people. So I guess I, I do the same thing in, for entertainment value, but I don't do the same thing when there's actually a moral issue at hand. It's morally reprehensible, but funny. I'll do it. If there's no sort of significant repercussion other than someone's annoyed. Uh, but if there were like a real fallout, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't lie for that. Communication that disregards the truth. So basically your management puts out a notice and you as a worker can tell that this is not factually accurate. It's not how the company works. It might be a manager just saying stuff without actually knowing. I've met a lot of managers from multiple companies who basically have no real idea how their company actually functions. So they are spreadsheet people and they sit in front of spreadsheets and they want numbers to go up and they'll harass people to make numbers go up. Uh, they don't understand what it takes to make the numbers go up. They don't understand external factors. They don't understand what's going on. That kind of thing, the bullshit is very obvious to someone who's on the ground doing the job. I've always wondered, God, this would never happen. Would it happen? Because there are so many stories. And it's on the internet is where you get most of these stories. Of inept managers. It's the Peter Principle, ironically, where you get uh, promoted to the point where you are now incapable of doing your job and then you stop getting promotions. 
That's the Peter principle. So that is why every manager is incapable because they didn't stop promoting them where they were good. They kept promoting them until they were no good anymore. And then they stopped promoting them. Uh, but management has this thing where they can't really put you down again. That's pretty common in a lot of companies. So you end up with people who are generally inept across the board in management. That's the kind of person, if they don't understand what they're talking about, will just say stuff uh, and hope the authority of their position is enough to make you do what they want. It was the, the in Japan, the guy in charge of cybersecurity for the country didn't know how to use a smartphone. I actually brought this up again, uh, I think last week on Ninja News Japan. And that that is a classic example. So he is supposed to be talking about computers, cybersecurity, uh, safety of information. And he didn't know how to use a cell phone. He said, well, I am in a position where I have someone to do that for me. I have someone to use the cell phone for me. Therefore, I do not need to use a cell phone. I just need to make reasonable decisions. But how do you make reasonable decisions about a technology or, or a topic or anything that you don't truly understand? It would be like the president of Toyota just not knowing anything about cars, I guess. It's, it's the idea of like a, the president of a car company not understanding their own product is kind of what I'm getting at. So when they start talking, the engineers would look at them and go, well, no, that's not right. That's not how that works. And again, so I have managers tell me about the company I work in and I can often look at, listen to what they say. And I don't want to put my job at risk or get in trouble or anything. So I just usually just like everyone else, just nod along. But in my head, I'm like, that's not going to work. Uh, that's not a good idea. And you might get to the point where you feel like you have to say something and you say something and then they get angry because you've actually challenged them, which every manager says they want. But then the reality is most people don't like being challenged. They don't like having their ideas challenged and stuff. The next factor, number two, involved the boss's use of bullshit at work, which isn't really a much of an explanation. So I'm assuming that's primarily verbal. Uh, communication that disregards the truth. The boss's use of bullshit specifically. So I guess in, in my case, it would be my immediate supervisor. Who doesn't do this, quite frankly? Like I can, I, my immediately supervisor, I can talk to her and very directly. And she might even disagree with what I say, but she'll just go, okay, and then go on and make a completely opposite decision. But I don't feel like there's any repercussion for it. And then I have other supervisors who are the exact opposite, where if you spoke out of place, they would clearly get very upset. So I'm guessing that's what that one is. And finally, the third factor involving the use of bullshit language at the use play. You, the use of bullshit language at the workplace, such as the overuse of acronyms and corporate jargon. So there were some examples, but it depends where you work. Uh, jargon is exclusionary in nature. The whole point of jargon is to make you feel like you're part of a group. So that's interesting to me because usually we, we talk about jargon like it's a good thing if you talk about groups and teams and stuff. But this is saying that really, if there's too much of that, it, it sort of eats away at the value or meaning of any language. But then, of course, I just said, let's do it. I guess that's sarcastic, though. You know, he's very high in the OBPS. Uh, that saying, using jargon, I guess it's, a whole, it's supposed to be like subversive. So that's why that joke came to me in this context. 
They did a second study and found some problems, but the whole point of a second study is to try to find the problems so you can fix those problems. So they were actually like saying, we're still working on the scale and the questions. They found 15 further sort of subcategories of levels of bullshit or types of bullshit. uh, And then they're trying to refine that. So this is actually a system they're trying to refine. We need to further look at the different impacts of positive BS and negative BS. So this would be like someone blowing smoke. And I know for a fact that... uh, telling me I'm awesome makes me think you're lying. And it's not that I'm not awesome. It's that I, the point of you doing that is usually suspect to me. Your motivation for telling me I did a good job, I'm usually suspicious of. And then negative BS uh, wasn't clear, both of which can exist in the same working environment. So this is actually, yeah, a, a boss or a manager who says whatever they think they need to say, positive or negative, to get the result they want, regardless of its connection to truth. It would also be great to clearly delineate which dimensions of workplace BS would negatively affect other factors like job satisfaction or organizational performance the most. Yeah, my initial point was when there was too much BS coming down from up high, I felt like my job was not valuable. And when you feel like your job's not valuable, you don't put in as much effort. You don't put as much work in. Therefore, I am less productive or less effective as an employee. So you're paying me the same money. I'm just not giving you the same results. Or I'm certainly, despite my years of experience, have not provided you with what you would expect to get for the money you're paying me. Further research that considers effective strategies to eliminate negative workplace BS is also a great avenue for further research. I really like that because what they're saying is maybe if we can point this out and people can see it and understand it, we could actually get rid of it. I think this is a a problem with psychologists. The idea that a company is going to be like, you're a big bullshitter. It's proven on the OBPS that your bullshit is negatively impacting us is actually going to have an effect. Because it's the bullshitters that seem to do really well in a lot of businesses. Uh, There's ah, classic. I don't even think it's true. Um, That sociopaths do really well in finance and stuff. But yeah, I mean, you would need a certain personality type to be successful. You're not getting rid of them because you've proven they're a sociopath if they're producing. And a bullshitter is always going to find a way to prove that they bullshit until they're just stuck. So anyways, uh, you now have new language that you can use in your office at your workplace. You can say something is very high on the OBPS and be very satisfied with the fact that you and whoever you're speaking to will understand that. And the person you're talking about will not. They will be excluded, which is also a form of BS uh, from the study, but success. I had a, an existential crisis. And every time I brought this up, people go like, midlife? Like, Fuck. I think I've actually had my midlife crisis already. I think I'm okay with my age and, and uh, the inevitability of death. But I think that actually does play into this where I've accepted that I'm going to die and I'm not that fussed about it. But I got kids. So in 1970, there was an environmental report written uh, just talking about the environmental impact of humanity. And it was revisited this year, 2020, 2021. 
And we have wildfires, we have the typhoons and hurricanes, we have tsunamis, we have uh, ice, polar caps melting, we have uh, water levels rising, all this kind of stuff. The 1970 report is eerily accurate as to what those effects were going to be. And so it is saying, all the, it predicted all the stuff that's happening right now accurately. And that's the scary part. So they knew this was coming. Scientists just did like a model. They're like, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. The thing that got me is in the report, it said in 2040, if things do not change, by things do not change before 2040, that is when we will have societal collapse. So basically society as we know it will no longer exist. And then I started thinking about like, I, 2040, 20 years from now, I'm going to be 70, 70 something. I, I'm pretty much done anyways. Uh, I'm not that worried about it because no one's going to care about me and I won't be having an impact on the world anymore. I don't believe. Although the mayor of Nagoya who bit that lady's uh, gold medal and got in trouble and had to like pay 1.5 million yen, He's 72, so I guess I could still be having an impact. I don't think I'll be the mayor of Nagoya. I wouldn't want to be the mayor of Nagoya. But what I mean, though, is if my life ended at that point, it would not be a big deal. But my kids would be in their prime. And that's when I started. Like, I actually literally lost some sleep over this. Like the world may not exist for them. So they're growing up with like touch pads. This is a couple, a couple things I've thought about. They grow up with touch pads, air conditioning, never have been hungry a day in their life. Uh, never really suffered any sort of travesty. And they, my job as a parent is to try to make that happen. So like, I want to prepare them as best for when it happens. But if I can, I want to shield them from the world at large. But I realized, like, I don't have that much control over the environment, over recycling and stuff. So something else that sort of plays into this is personal responsibility. And we've been told, most of my life anyway, so probably most of people's lives, if they're in their, like, 20s and 30s, they've been told they have a personal responsibility to take care of the environment, to recycle, to separate, to reduce and reuse and all that stuff. And I agree with that. And I actually have been trying to do better uh, certainly over the last little while. But of course, I'm thinking like my impact is so small. It's not going to be enough to tip the scales. Certainly isn't going to hurt. So I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, I'm not like nihilistic in that I shouldn't do anything at all. So absolutely, I should give my effort. But I looked into it. And one of the things that got me first was Coca-Cola produces more plastic bottles than anywhere else, any other company in the world. They produce most of the plastic in the world as far as bottles are concerned. Uh, bottled water is apparently like, I forget the number. I think it was 11 or 14 times more damaging to the environment than tap water. So just drink tap water, which I, again, I'm fine with. I drink tap water most of the time anyway. But I will never buy bottled water again. I'm trying to actually, now I'm trying to quit cola on moral grounds more than sort of just health concerns, which is what I had before was I was drinking or eating too much sugar. Thinking about society collapsing and my kids still being in it really bothered me. And so I realized like Coca-Cola, they're not holding, no one's holding them responsible for recycling any of that plastic or reducing that plastic or using less plastic in their products. 
And then I read a thing and it talked about how if we as people cleaned up everything, so we took 100% full personal responsibility, we recycled, uh, we, we minimized how much our impact is on the environment, we drove, we stopped driving and used public transport, all this kind of stuff, that that would only reduce all the pollution in the world by about 30% because there are a bunch of companies and companies are primarily responsible for 70% of the pollution in the world. And that's Coca-Cola is the example that I, I think of first because Coca-Cola is making those bottles and they're not slowing down. They're not stopping. I think even if they just switched to the aluminum can, it would be better because that is recyclable or more recyclable compared to plastic. Might even like go back to glass, which I'm sure is not, it's not maybe expense, but the weight of the glass is very big deal because I was reading about transportation. This is, gives you a, a good insight into how I spend my time reading. Transportation, like if you just uh, can change the material so it's a little lighter, you can transport X amount more or you can use less fuel to transport it. And that's a really big deal to a company like Coca-Cola who transports millions and millions and millions of bottles of Coke every year. So they want the lightest, cheapest material, and that's plastic. And then I was thinking, like, how can I hold them responsible? But it's not going to be me. It has to be government. Government, they get their money from these big corporations. And then it became very clear. That's why society is going to collapse. Because these companies aren't being held responsible by company uh, countries, countries' governments. Or if they are, it's going to be probably too late because the money is there. And... I'm sure the threat of taking Coca-Cola out of your country is significant because they sponsor things, they pay for things, they, they, they spend money. I'm assuming they actually have lobbies that spend money in, on governments. I can't end an episode like this. Do I end an episode with that kind of a downer? You put it at the beginning? I feel like, I, yeah, this is what I'm torn on. The nature of Podcast has changed as I've built more things or tried to restructure it, I should just stick with Steven Seagal stuff. That's it. I should just make fun of Steven Seagal. He's changed the name to Steven Seagal cast, rip that stuff from Steven Seagal movies, and then uh, have little fake conversations with him. Actually, pretty good content right there. And again, as long as he makes movies, I keep getting lines. I just have to watch those movies. I should do a Steven Seagal festival. The podcast ended like 10 minutes ago. I'm just trying to think of what to do with everything. Again, this is this is existential crisis in action right now, is now I'm confused as to what to do, how and why to move myself forward in this space or in the world at large. At least I got Dave. The loss of the loss of podcast. The Loss of Podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube slash Podcast or streaming on twitch.tv slash chest. You can find Ninja News Japan on Facebook. Send questions or comments to speakpipe.com slash podcast for your first step to fame. Not the good kind, the fleeting pointless kind. Link in the description.
Check out all the podcasts in the Podcast family. See Mick B, Ninja News Japan and Daily Affirmations Weekly. At least you won't get any bullshit here, just straight facts. Sexy out homies. Uh, that wasn't too bad. That was a pretty good reading. I like the way she said bullshit. <laughs>